if you didn't know where it was last week, um, I was checking out Indonesia because I was wondering why my members keep going back there. Okay, it's a beautiful place. I love it. I love it. I was in the city of Bandung. It, this wasn't for a holiday, but it was for a little short mission trip. And, and in my team, we had like seven pastors, and, and I just had such an awesome time. Uh, we went with Compassion Australia, and so we, we got to visit uh, a few churches, and we did a whole bunch of home visits. We, we ministered to the kids, and, and we see life change, and, and we just prayed for them and then prayed for more of them. And I, I just want to share one story that, that stuck out to me. And this one's actually a miracle because on our very last home visit, so we, we visited this family's home and, and, and after we prayed for that little family, after we said amen, the family said, oh, we actually have someone else in this neighborhood who, who would also like some prayer. And we said, all right, show us the way. And while they were showing us the way, it was raining, it was in the slums, it was these, these little corridors where we have to squeeze ourselves just to try to, to, to get through. And, and it took us through this some sort of maze, and finally we get there. And there we saw poverty. There we smelt poverty. The, the walls had mold. It was a, just a little cubic room where, the, you know, the kitchen and then everything's there. And, and, and it was raining. It was leaking. It was dark and damp. And there was this lady. And she wanted some prayer because she knew that there was pastors around the area. And she would like some prayer as well. And so here we are. We're praying for this lady whose hand is not working anymore. She's been in pain her hand's been inflamed for some time now, and she could not do nothing with it. She can't ride her motorbike. She can't, do, she can't get to work. She, she still has a, a little one to raise, and she can't do anything because her hand is in so much pain. And so we prayed for her. And as we were praying, one of us then asked, so how do you feel? And she said, a bit better. <laughs> now, when I heard that, I thought she was just being polite. Okay, so we prayed for her some more and we left her there. We, we had to go back to the church that we were at because there was a kids program that's, that's happening right now. So we left her. We went back to the church for this two-hour kids program. And by the end of it, we see this lady. Now, she has driven in the rain on her motorbike that she shouldn't have been driving in the motorbike if her hand wasn't healed. She came all the way to church just to tell us that she was healed. Just to tell us that the pain was, was totally gone after, right after we left. And she had to find a way and she, she chased us down and she hunted us down all the way to the church just to tell us. And that brought great encouragement to the whole church. We, we filmed it and everything. It's all in Nindo. I don't understand any of it. Um, but that's the story that I'm telling you because I'm telling you that miracles still happen today. Do you believe that, church? And even me standing here preaching to you is also a miracle. Because as I got back from Bandung, I was so sick on Thursday and Friday, there was no way I could even attempt to start the sermon. So I started yesterday. So it was really rough and really tough. It was one hour's work and two hours shivering and sweating and spending it in the toilet, one hour and then two hours of that. 
It was really rough work. And, and I thank you for those who, who prayed for me. That's the only reason. It's a miracle that I'm even standing here speaking to you. And the reason why I believe that I can speak to you because God has placed this simple message in my heart. And this simple message goes, Jesus loves you. He loves you. Now, before we dig into our passage today, which is found in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. But before we dig into that passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are here. Lord, we pray that tonight you send your Holy Spirit to help us see how beautiful and wonderful Jesus is. Lord, let us, none of us go out here not not ever experiencing, let us experience your love in such a real way tonight. Let us experience that fatherly love that, that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the context of Mark chapter 5 is, if you travel back with me to the time where this took place, as his disciple took their ship across this lake, there in that lake, they, they met a freak storm. And the seasoned fishermen thought they were going to die. And they were like, Jesus, we're going to die. And then Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And he says, be still. And it was still. And they're all amazed. And finally they got to the other side. But there awaiting them, running towards them, was a naked guy. He was naked and yelling at them. What happened was this man, he was a demoniac. He had legions in him. He had a whole bunch of demons. He was messed up. But then after a while, Jesus heals him. And now he's closed. He's in his right mind. But the people of that town, of that region was like, Jesus, you're bad for our bacon business. You need to go. And Jesus goes, okay, I will leave. And so he hops back on his boat and he goes across the very same way in that he went. And so there again, the disciples go to the place where they nearly died and they're waiting to go back to the shore where they originally started off and they had no idea what was waiting in store for them. So Mark chapter 5, this is where we are. Verses 21. As they got closest to land, these disciples, they saw a multitude of people. It's like a cheer squad. It's like those people were expecting them. It's way better than a naked man running at them. It was like, yes, a parade for us. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. He's been going around doing miracles after miracles. And so everyone, words is spreading around. And so, of course, they're curious to come to see who this man Jesus is. And the disciples, you can hear them say, now this is what we call a homecoming. Everyone is expecting to see Jesus, except for one group. And I'll tell you who that one group is. That is the Jewish leaders. They have already drawn the line in the sand. We're on this side and Jesus, he's on that side. Why? Because Jesus refused to reform to their ideologies, their practices and their ideals. Jesus, he eats and he dines with the sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus, he even rebuked us. He even said that we're broad of vipers. That's Jesus He's getting way more popular than us. So they have drawn the line and said, Jesus is the enemy. And so this Jewish leader group, 
did not like this man, Jesus. And the Bible says there happens to be this man named Jairus, ruler of the synagogues. Now this man, he's on the Jewish leader's side, and he is high up there on the political social totem pole. He is the ruling party of that region. He doesn't, he's not just taking care of one church. He's taking care of all the churches in the state, all the synagogues, all the worship. He plans all the holidays that happens there. Now, this is an influential man. But I tell you what, when it comes to your only daughter that has a fever that has never subsided, everything goes. This line becomes blur. Jarius. He would have been at the bedside of his daughter for, for weeks and days. I, we don't know how long he would have been there looking at his precious daughter. I have a daughter myself, and, and so I, I kind of read myself into this man's life. He must have tried everything. Everything that money could buy, all those balms, all those ornaments, just to try to heal his daughter, just to try to get his daughter to smile again. Nothing seems to be working. As he looks at her fragile body, a body that cannot afford to lose any more weight, as he looks at those once round cheeks now all sunken in and the eyes are closed and dark, as he looks at those little chests struggling for the next breath, that breaks a man. That breaks a father. And I tell you, I don't care if my political party tells me what to think or whose side I'm on. Because once I know there is a man out there who can perform the miraculous, who, who can heal my daughter, I have already heard him already stop the progression of a boy's funeral, who, who raised the little boy back to life. If I hear that sort of news, you know what? I do not care if there's a line, I would cross it. You would cross it if you were a father of a daughter. I would go. You would go. I'll be honest with you, and you probably already heard the story, and my wife kind of gets angry at me when, when I kind of share this. Um, when she was pregnant... When I found out Demi was pregnant, I'm like, "Woo! I'm the man. <laughs> I'm the man. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're going to name him Judah because I'm going to have a boy because I feel like God's going to give me a boy. I have faith. I have faith, dear. I have faith. We're going to name this boy Judah. I'm going to have a partner in crime. We're going to play basketball together. We're going to play soccer together. You, yo, whatever he wants to play. Well, whatever I want to play, he's going to play with me. <laughs> going to have a boy until the day where she got some jelly on her belly and some ultra scan. And the nurse said, sir, you might have a girl. And I tell you what, a true story, I nearly cried. Because <laughs> in my heart, I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. I have faith. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be Judah. It's going to be Judah. So much so, even to the day she was born... I thought she was a boy. The moment that she was born and she came out all bloodied, I was like, ah, 
And I swear, I thought, yes, the doctors got it wrong. But what happened was I actually mistaken the umbilical cord for something else. <laughs> and so as they wrapped this little baby girl in making her look like a little burrito, and as they hand her to me and as I held this little girl, as I look at her looking at me, I just instantly fell in love with her. My fatherly instincts just kicked in. And I just became so protective of this girl. And I remember these words that I said to her, Daddy's never going to let anything happen to you. Daddy is going to forever protect you from the boys. <laughs> That's what I said <laughs> to my girl. That's the power of daughter. They can change your life. And again, can I reiterate to you that Jarius' position, I don't care if his political party tells him what's the thing, if there's a line drawn and there's all the rules have been set, set out, even if the consequences are clear as day, even if I had to risk my position, my ruling position, I would give that up for my daughter. I would go. The only reason why I would ever leave my dying daughter's bedside is because I know there is someone out there who is her only hope. I would go. And as he go, remember, Jarius, he's a man of wealth, of popularity, of power, of influence. And the Bible says he falls at the feet of of Jesus. Now don't miss that. He falls at the feet of Jesus, pleading earnestly with him. There's no schemes here. There's no hidden agenda involved. It's all out sincerity and desperation. He's thrown all sense of pride and dignity outside religiously. I, I don't care. He's one of the most, I don't care. I need Jesus to help my little girl. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. You don't do that in this first world. You don't throw yourself at anyone's feet. That's why I want to remind you, that's why feet washing was so important back in those days because we're talking about the first century where you share the roads with, with animals and the roads weren't in pavements. It was muddy, it was dirty. The, the, the footwear that you wear, it's not covered shoes, it's sandals. And so dirt and manure would get stuck in the crack of your toes and it would smell to Put yourself near anyone's feet. You don't do that, especially a man of Jarius's caliber. But if you are a man with a dying daughter, you would do the same. And he says to Jesus, she's my only girl. She's my only girl. You, you, you got to come to my house. She's only 12. She's only 12. And in this Jewish custom, to be 12 in one day, that marks that she is no longer a child, but now a young woman. Now that's every parent's dream. That's every parent's hope. But now their daughter seems to have no future at all. And the crowd is observing this. Whoa. That's Jarius. He's on the floor in front of Jesus. Oh, yeah. This is what we hear. We, that's, this is why we're here. 
This is what we came to see. Oh, Jesus is going to perform a miracle. That's awesome. They whip out their popcorn and the crowd says it's as they make way towards Jairus' house, this Mark gospel, it says they press towards Jesus. Now, the same account in Luke's gospel, you can find it in Luke chapter 8. Luke uses the verb where it says the crowd almost crushed Jesus. So you've got to be really close to to crush. Have you ever played crushing seats in the cars? Yeah, that's how Jesus would have felt as they walk towards Jairus' house. And can you just imagine Jairus trying to bulldoze the crowd down? Get out of the way. Get out of the way. She's only 12. She's only 12. Jesus needs to make it to my house now. I don't have much time. My daughter don't have much time. Time is of the essence for Jairus. You can see how impatient that he is getting. Just trying to push the crowd out, trying to make way for Jesus to quicker get to his daughter. But then the lens of scripture zooms out and it focuses on another lady, a very timid lady. Now the spotlight's on her. Now she's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she also probably have heard stories of all the miraculous deeds that Jesus has done. That Jesus, that because of Jesus, there's these lepers who now wearing tank tops showing off their new skin. There's now this ex-paralegic guy who's waltzing up and down town because Jesus gave him a new pair of legs. She would have heard these stories and she would have been inspired. And she was thinking, if only as long as I can just touch his robe, then I will be healed. And so the crowd, there was so many pressing into Jesus already. And, and can you imagine her? She's trying to weave her way in, squeeze her way in. She's crawling some parts and, and, and she's getting pushed back, but she's still jumping in at the crowd, just trying so hard to get to Jesus. She sees opportunities after opportunities and she tries and attempts to grab them, but she misses. But finally, finally, she able to grab the hem of Jesus' robe. And the Bible says that she felt healed. She felt that her body changed. The blood flowed, stopped. And she was happy. And as she turns around to sign and leave, because she was only intending just to touch it and go, as she went to her horror, Jesus stops. And when Jesus stops, and all the, when Jesus stops, the crowd stopped. And Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? At this, the crowd all around him is flabbergasted. What do you mean who's touching you? We're all touching you. And here it says a disciple speaks out in Luke's account. We find out it's Peter. Of course it's Peter. He's the only one brave enough to run his mouth in front of Jesus. Now, I'm not throwing shade on this guy. This guy gives me hope. And he's like, uh, Jesus, uh, pff, let me count. It's uh, like 20 guys touching you right now. Like, what, what do you mean who's touching you? How can you say who's touching you? We, we, we kind of rub shoulders with you all the time. What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus, he kept looking around to see who's done it. In Luke's account, again, it says he felt power coming out of him. Now the woman, knowing what she has done, knows that 
She could not no longer go unnoticed because that was her intention, to go unnoticed. But Jesus is bringing all that to light. And it says that she fell at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear and confessed. And she told them in, the pre- in Jesus' presence and in the presence of the crowd. Why was she so scared of touching Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Because if it was me, I'm that type of rebel. It's like, um, well, uh, I touch you, Jesus, but, but everyone else is touching you. What's the big deal? Have you, ever thought, have you ever thought that? But why was she the only one in the crowd that was so scared of touching Jesus? I'll tell you why. If you know your Old Testament well, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 15. Now, it's a really weird um, section, so you can go home and read it yourself. I'm not going to read you the whole passage. Now, it's, it's this bleeding woman. Did you understand what, what it meant when she was bleeding? It means that she was on her period. Okay, She was having an outflow of blood. Now, in Leviticus 15, it talks about the day where the woman gets her period for seven days from that start, she is considered unclean and she has to be confined in her own home because whatever she sits on becomes unclean. Whatever she touches becomes unclean and whoever she touches also becomes unclean and they are ceremonially defiled. And so she has to be quarantined. So this is why she's so scared because she has just broken the law and it could be punishable by death and this is not a forgiving crowd. She is in fear. She is trembling. Because what she's doing, she, she continues to tell Jesus, I've been trying everything for 12 years I've saw various doctors, but it only made it worse. Can you imagine, church, if you are having a period for 12 straight years? Now, this is just, isn't just physical suffering. No, no, it would do something to you emotionally and spiritually. Because in that culture, it forces you in isolation. Now, there would be no chance of her ever bearing a child because that's physically, biologically impossible. Now, if she had a husband, he would have probably divorced her. And now, if she was single, there would be no chance of her ever finding a partner because no guy would want an unclean wife. This disease has taken away her dignity her value, and her identity. As the crowd would have heard this. Can you imagine the crowd? Some of them, there would have been this invisible shockwave that just spreads out. Some of them are gasping for air. Some of them stomachs are churning. Some of them would probably have taken a few steps back and it's like, eh, 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 and just shocked and horror that they have been contaminated by this lady. How dare that she be out on the streets and when she is bleeding. 
it's what she's done metaphorically. It's like if she has taken a piece of coal and she ran around, let's say, imagine if I had a piece of coal here and at the end of the service and I'm just going around and I'm just marking you with a piece of coal on your white shirt, on your green shirt. And there's just every time a coal touches a piece of cloth, it becomes, it, it kind of defiles the cloth, doesn't it? Becomes dirty. And so that's how the crowd is feeling. They have been defiled. They have been contaminated. But there's good news for this lady. Because I don't know if you can imagine if there is a piece of coal that touches a white piece of cloth that is Jesus. Instead of the coal staining that cloth, as that piece of coal touches that cloth, that coal turns into diamond. I don't know if you can imagine it. It's pretty crazy if you can. But that's how Jesus is. He is incorruptible. Sin cannot affect him because he is the one that redeems even sin. And look at what Jesus says to the crowd in front of the crowd to her. Look what, I, look at what he says. And this, this stood out to me. Jesus says, you ready? He says, daughter, daughter, daughter. Now, out of all the vocabulary, now out of all the vernacular that this lady has been thinking that could come out of Jesus' mouth, she would not have expected this word, daughter. Daughter, she's not expecting that. But there could be no other title that could heal her as much as this title. Daughter, this is my little girl. Now, becoming a father myself with a little girl... I understand the power of the word daughter because I tell you what's with daughter. Because if you mess with a daughter, with my daughter, if you mess with my daughter, you mess with me and the whole of my ancient Nguyen clan. (laughs) Daughters are out of bounds. Daughters are no go zone. Everything that I have is her. Every ounce of strength that I have within me is used to protect her. That's the power of daughter. In one word, Jesus returned to her what the 12 years has robbed away. That she is loved. That she is loved. She's loved. And in one word, Jesus tells everyone publicly what's going on privately, that she has value, that she has worth, and she now has a new identity. Because this bleeding woman was also a precious daughter of God. The reason why I picked this passage today is because on my first day in Indonesia, as, I was, as we just packed our bags in the hotel and we had some free time before dinner to just to explore the place and we went out to the markets and things, As I was walking on those busy streets, I swear, I thought I was going to die a few times. Crazy traffic. But as I was walking across the street, I saw this lady begging with her little daughter. And this little daughter was just, this little girl was just sucking on this little green toy. And that reminded me of my little girl. Because my little girl likes to suck on anything that she can get her hand on. 
And that just got me thinking, what if that was my girl? What if that was my girl begging on the streets? Wouldn't my heart cry out as well? Wouldn't my heart would have so much compassion to reach out for her? And so God did something to me at the very beginning of the Compassion Australia trip because every child that I saw, that I saw them as, that's a daughter of God, that's a son of God. They're not just some poor kid in some other country. No, no, no. They are all precious kids of our God. And Jesus says to this woman, daughter, And he continues, it wasn't the robe that healed you. No, no, your faith has healed you. When Jesus says your faith has healed you, it's just a sneaky way of Jesus saying, I have healed you because God is the one that gives faith. Because Jesus knows that he cannot afford to let her go unnoticed because that was her intention. He knows, yes, she's been physically freed from her suffering but he needs to also free her from her emotional and spiritual suffering. Because let me tell you, it wasn't just healing power that came out of Jesus, but it was also forgiving power. It wasn't just healing power, but forgiving power. Again, if you look at Leviticus 15 verses 25 to 33, it says when a woman has a period for, for more than her usual cycle, it's usually because of her sin and she needs to present a sin offering. So, so here is this lady. It's because of her sin that she continues to bleed. And what happens here when her bleeding stops, it also means, she, it also means besides from her being healed, it also means that she was forgiven. Jesus loved her so much to let her go away privately. She needs to know that Jesus is offering so much more. Look at verses 24 and 29 carefully. Because in verse 24, it says she was freed from her suffering. Yes, that was just physical, but Jesus was offering a lot more. Jesus says in verse 29, you can go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see the difference? That word peace, you can go in peace. Now that word peace is shalom. Because Jesus knew what she would be thinking. She would be always feeling guilty if she goes away privately thinking that she stole something. But no, 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 she didn't steal something. No, no, Jesus offers it. And it was by grace that he offers it. Now this word shalom means fullness. Peace of God. Wholeness. You were once broken, but now you can walk away whole. You don't have to go in fear. You can go in peace. That's how much Jesus loved that daughter. But Jesus hasn't forgotten about the other daughter. And so Jesus continues to make way to Jairus' house and the crowd moves along. And what happens is as they were about to get to the house, The Bible says there were men that comes out of the house and says, Jarius, Jarius, your daughter, it's too late. She's dead. Stop bothering the teacher. I don't know about you, but if I was that father receiving that news, I don't think I could walk anymore. 
But Jesus ignores that crowd and he says to Jairus, Jairus, just believe, just have faith. Now, that's a nice thing that Jesus said, but, but I'm reading myself into the story. I don't know if I could have faith. <laughs> what? Jesus, it's because you stopped for some nobody that my daughter is now dead. How could I have faith in this situation? Okay, but let's say I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good and, and I still had some faith in Jesus and, and I continue to walk along. I continue to drag my feet up that hill. But now I'm starting to see some evidence. Because the Bible says there was a great commotion and there was people wailing all over the place. Probably the servants, probably my extended family all wailing and crying. I'm seeing the evidence that something has happened. And to put that nail in the coffin as I walk into her room and see her lifeless and not breathing no more. The daughter that I love, the daughter that I think is the most beautiful girl in the world, stops breathing. I don't know if I could have faith. But look what Jesus does. The Bible says Jesus took her by the hand, tenderly, gently, and says, little girl, get up. She gets up. She even starts walking around and Jesus tells the servants, go get her something to eat and bubble tea because that's what she would want. Now that's a great story, isn't it? A great story of two miracles of two precious daughters. Even though one is rich, one is poor, they are both precious to God. But this is just an, isn't just a beautiful story that happened historically to those two girls. No, no, no. I want to tell you this is also our story. This is also our gospel. I'll invite the band to come up as I wrap up. I also want you to see what happens in this passage through the lens of the gospel. We, too, are those two daughters. One daughter couldn't even live up to 12. One daughter suffered for 12 years. Both had no hope, no future, until Jesus came. One daughter was dead. She could not, there was no way for her to even reach out to Jesus or even ask Jesus. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus came and he took her by the hand and he rescued her. Weren't we too in our sin? Weren't we too dead in our transgressions? There was no way for us to reach up to God, even call God for help because we are so deprived by our sin, but did not God send His Son? Jesus, it says in the story, was nearly crushed by the crowd. But you know, isn't that also the same in our salvation story where Jesus was crushed for our iniquities? 
In the story, there was great wailing, but did you know that Jesus promises to turn every sorrow into joy and that there will one day be no more tears? In the story, the people laughed and mocked at Jesus when He said, oh, it's just sleeping. On the cross, Jesus was also mocked and scorned. One daughter was separated, isolated because she was suffering from her sin, because of her sin. But when she grabbed hold of Jesus, as we grabbed hold of the cross, for this girl, her bleeding, when she grabbed hold to Jesus, her bleeding stopped. Why could her bleeding stop? It's because Jesus was going to bleed on the cross. And with his blood came forgiveness of sin. She could walk away whole because Jesus was broken. She could walk away with peace, the shalom of God, into his presence. Why? Because Jesus took the wrath of God. On that cross, as he received those nails, pierced hands, and those feet, and that, and that crown of thorns on his head, as he took that wrath, we no longer have to fall beneath Jesus and God's feet in trembling and fear. Why? Because perfect fear, perfect love drives out that fear. As we now, as children of God, enter into his presence, we do not need to tremble. Because we are loved. And here's what I want you to know, church. Women, girls, you are a daughter. You are a daughter of God. Guys, You are also sons of God. You are loved. We are all loved. We are loved so much that God sent his down to die for our sins to forgive us. And I don't know about you, maybe in your life you have tried so many different types of doctors. Doctors of success, doctors of drugs, doctors of alcohol, doctors of, of gaming, doctors of, you might have tried everything, but Have you ever felt that your soul become worse and worse? Maybe tonight is the night where you lay everything down at the feet of Jesus. And maybe healing will come from Him. God bless you, church.